Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well. Uh, as you can tell from my voice, I am a little bit croaky. Uh, and that is, I can guarantee you, nothing whatsoever to do with six days and nights of eating and drinking in New York. No chance. Because for those entire six days and nights, uh, I was fine. I ate, I drank, I was fine. I ate, I drank, I was fine the next day. And then when I got back to Ireland, I got all croaky. And I, I'm sure it's the airplane air. That's what does it for everybody, right? This recycled, recirculated air. One plague victim up the top of the plane has a little cough. It goes up into the watts. It comes back down if you put your air buzzer on or your air filter thing. And then all of a sudden you're breathing in their, uh, their plague. And I think that's what it was. Somebody had a bit of plague and now I have, I have the plague. Uh, but as I said, I hope you're well. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke. That was interesting to me last week because I was sort of keeping an eye on things from afar. And I noticed last Friday a lot of people saying, where is the Arscast? I listen to the Arscast every single week without fail. Where is it? And surprised that there was no Arscast. And this struck me as kind of curious because at the very end of the last Arscast I did, I said there definitely wouldn't be one this week because I was going to be away. I wouldn't be here. So there wouldn't be an Arscast. Maybe they're listening to a different Arscast. Or maybe they just hear what they want to hear and not what I actually say, which would be curious. Maybe people just don't pay attention at the end of the Arscast. Maybe it's a case that I could say anything at all in the last five or three minutes of the show and nobody would pick up on it. You never know. Um, New York, I have to say, is is a, a fantastic place. Uh, I was only there once and I was 15, so I didn't really... I, I don't count that as being there because uh, I think to experience it, you have to... You have to be older and be able to enjoy all the delights of the city, like uh, happy hours and all the bars and restaurants that are there. And my favorite thing entirely about uh, New York City, apart from all the amazing stuff there is to see and the people there are to overhear and, and, and all that kind of stuff, is the fact that if you sit in a bar and you buy two or three rounds of drinks and, and you happen to you know have a bit of conversation with the bartender, he'll say, this round is on me. And it's like, what? I'm in a bar and you're buying me drink. I like this. We don't get that here. No, you could be drinking anywhere for like 25 years. You could have your own seat at the bar like Norm from Cheers. Everyone could say your name when you walked into the bar and they still wouldn't fucking buy you a drink. Ever. So I really like that. It sort of adds a little bit of, a, a little bit of value. And uh, as well as that, uh, I did catch up with the Arsenal games, both of them while I was there, in the Blind Pig, um, and two good games there were too. Uh, but it was a real pleasure to watch the games with the uh, the New York Gooners uh, in that pub, which is fantastic, adorned and decked out with Arsenal gear and photographs and flags and uh, all kinds of stuff, um, full of Gooners. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I think it was the first game against Marseille, uh, and there was loads of people in there who, I guess, probably should have been at work, uh, but decided they would go and watch the Arsenal instead. And it was a great atmosphere, and the game was a bit, you know, and then Walcott scored, and then Ramsey scored, and everyone's happy and singing and, and fantastic. And uh, on the Sunday as well, 
the 8.30 kickoff, which I have to say is a touch difficult when you've been out till about 1.30 or 2 a.m. Um, drinking, uh, and then you wake up and you've got to go down and, well, it's 8.30, do you want to start drinking again? So you say, well, might as well. I'll try have a beer, and then you can have a beer, and then you try a Bloody Mary, and that works. That gets you sort of back on track. Uh, 8.30 kickoff for the game against Stoke. Which was marvellous because, you know, uh, Stoke, despite the fact they are now Pulisless, is that a way you could say Pulisless? Sans Pulis? I don't know. Pulisless. They are certainly Pulisless. They're still annoying, horrible cunts. They are, of course, um, Hughesified, I think you might say. Uh, so Mark Hughes uh, has taken the place of Pulis and they still have Shawcross. So there's all that desire uh, for Arsenal to do well and in particular for, for Aaron Ramsey to do well. I was hoping he might nutmeg him on the way to scoring a goal, but scoring a goal and then doing the old shh afterwards, I really like that. I don't care who says it's small and petty. Uh, he's taken a lot of abuse for those f- uh, from those fans simply for having his leg broken and for not being particularly keen on talking to the guy who snapped his leg in two, which for me is a fairly reasonable position to take. Like if someone came up and stabbed you in the eye, even if you were both fencers, for example, and there was a like face mesh malfunction and he, he stabbed you in the eye and it was all part and parcel of the game, you still wouldn't feel terribly inclined to spend a great deal of time with that person. You know, you've got to get your eye patch sorted out, and perhaps a prosthetic or a marble or something in there. So I, I accept that from Ramsey, that he can do what he wants, as far as I'm concerned. And what he wants to do at the moment seems to be scoring. So that was good. Everybody enjoyed that particular game down there on, on a Sunday morning. It was a beautiful sunny day. And I have to give uh, total props to, uh, uh, to Curtis and Brett, who set this up. It's a brilliant thing they've created. If you're ever in New York and you're looking for somewhere to watch the Arsenal, you have to go uh, to the Blind Pig because what you'll meet is uh, is just loads of Arsenal fans and it was a pleasure to meet all the ones that I did meet and sorry if I didn't get to see you there Um uh, hopefully see you next time. But make sure that if you're ever in New York and you want somewhere to watch uh, the Arsenal with loads of other great Arsenal fans, the Blind Pig is the place to be. Then we had midweek, of course, um, Capital One Cup action, where most of the first-team players were rested because, uh, well, we can't do a great deal other than that. I saw some people complaining about the uh, the team that he was going to pick and the team that he eventually picked, um, uh, and I just staggered that there are people who had legitimate or who thought they had a legitimate complaint about the team that was selected for the game on Wednesday. What else were we supposed to do? With Swansea coming over the weekend, you've got guys like uh, Ramsey and Wilshire uh, and Flamini and all these guys, uh, Giroud, who have given everything in every game since the start of the season. Everything. And they need a rest. You can criticise, by all means, the fact that the squad isn't big enough to rest them more often or what have you. But going into this game, looking for us to play those players, you'd want to be out of your mind to think that's something to complain about. He had to rest them. He had to bring in guys uh, like Eisfeld, like Nabry, like Rio, like even Nicholas Bentner, just to make sure that this great run that we have in the league that everyone is enjoying continues. Because like it or not, the league is more important than the Capital One Cup. You do have to prioritize. It's as simple as that. So I just found it bananas 
bananas that people would, would, would complain. But what was interesting was uh, during the, the week off, uh, I, obviously I wasn't really on Twitter because I was too busy walking around looking at skyscrapers and drinking beers and eating hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. And you find yourself re- refreshed by the fact that you're not bombarded with fucking ridiculous opinion all the time. Uh, which isn't to say everybody's opinion is ridiculous, but some of them clearly are. Uh, and people spend so much time arguing with each other when their positions are so fixed and entrenched that there's just so little point in them wasting their time. Because It's almost um, Protestant-Catholic, you know, Republican-Democrat sort of stuff. That no matter what that person says, you're not going to come around to that point of view. And no matter what they say, you're not going to come around to their point of view. So you might as well just smash your head off a wall for all the good it does. And while I think there's obviously legitimate discussion and debate to be had, it just um, it gives you a fresh perspective on things. That's all I'm saying. And it's worth getting that from time to time. Um, as for the uh, the match itself, the Capital One Cup game against West Brom, uh, well, it was poo. The game itself, I thought, was pretty woeful. The young players we brought in struggled quite a bit, I thought, and and that's not to criticise, but I, I think uh, it's part and parcel of their development and part of their learning. You look at somebody like Eisfeld, who was uh, bumped off the ball, uh, didn't anticipate a lot of the headers, a lot of the flick-ons. You could see Arteta get really frustrated with him at one point, and then he pops up and scores a goal. Um, Nabry and Rio didn't produce in the final third, but, you know, games like that will will help them. Uh, as a spectacle, it wasn't much to look at. Then you get into extra time, and they hit the bar, and we had the chance through Bentner, and then you get a penalty shootout. And look, you know, I know they're a lottery, and I know they're heartbreaking at times. God knows we've had enough of those uh, in our day. But when you win them, they're fucking brilliant. I love a penalty shootout when we win. And we seem to have won quite a few down the years in this competition. Thank you very much indeed to the West Brom players who just decided they'd smash them wide as much as possible. Uh, and Monreal's, uh, Monreal's winning penalty was eight. You look at 17-year-old Akpom. Uh, Chris Olsen is, what, 18 years of age, stepping up and scoring penalties under that kind of pressure. Fantastic. Great, uh, great for them and obviously great for the team. Uh, and we got Chelsea in the next round, which obviously is going to be a lot more tricky than West Brom. But... You know, this is uh, this is football. We just got to get on with it, and we'll uh, pick the best team we can under the circumstances, taking everything else into account, and we'll we'll see what happens. So that's it. So it's been good since uh, since I went away. Uh, three games in three different competitions, three wins, uh, and we currently sit top of the league. That's not bad at all, eh? Things could be an awful lot worse and have been a lot worse at this time of the season. Uh, so it's great to see that we've sort of uh, got out in front a little bit. Um, too often we've been playing catch-up, so it's it's a fantastic place to be. Anyway, to discuss all the bits and pieces with me now, uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show from uh, his column here from Vital Arsenal. It's Tim Stillman. Hi. Hello there. Let's start by talking about the Capital One Cup game in, in midweek on Wednesday. Um, the, the team that Arsene Wenger had to put out, and I think he had to make changes, obviously, because of uh, the, the, the size of the squad that we have, meant that the, the way that Arsenal played wasn't as fluid and as cohesive as, as we've seen from them in, in recent games. Um, they really had to dig in. And I, I want to draw some parallels a little bit with the end of last season when Arsenal weren't playing particularly well but, but found this knack of of digging out games 
um, you know, when they didn't play as, as well as they could do. Um, was that sort of a learned behaviour, you might say, that we saw again on Wednesday night? I, I think it might have been a little bit. I think it was more out of necessity, to be honest. I think, um, you know, we're unfortunate that most of our injuries seem to be in exactly the same areas, i.e. the forward areas at the moment. So, I mean, to me, on paper, Nabry, Rio and Bentner was never really going to work. They're not very complementary players anyway, and they've never really played together before. Um, and I think the manager realised that, which is why, you know, he was he went quite strong at the back with, I, I really thought that one of Mertesacker or Koscielny would start for that reason. Obviously, Arteta, I think the intention was to play Flamini, but he got quite a late injury. So I think he was, you know, in, in his mind's eye, he was looking at it as, let's just try and get through this by hook or by crook, and we've actually got a much better chance if we're not leaky at the back, because um, I, th- I think I, I turned to my friend at half-time and said, I think there's going to be one chance in this, and I, I don't really know which team it's going to fall to. Um, there were two chances, effectively. Um, and, I, and I think the fact that West Brom didn't play their full team uh, for reasons that I just cannot get my head around, um, but I'm thankful they didn't. So they didn't really have any fluency either. So I, I, I think in answer to your question, it was a bit of both. I think the manager set up defensively, certainly thinking, let's you know, let's be tight and not concede. Um, and we've become quite good at doing that. Um, but I do also think it was just there was a lack of fluency in the forward line, a lack of experience. And, you know, to be quite honest, I, I, I'm not taken by Rio Miachi that much. I, I think I don't really think he's ever going to come up to Arsenal level, so I'm happy to be wrong on that. Nabry's a great talent, but still very raw. Bentner hasn't played for a while, so I, I think it was a mixture of both. But I think the manager anticipated it well. Um, with the way you set the team up defensively, mm, do create a platform, obviously for the, for the uh, for the the misfiring attack to to operate around. I guess is uh, Bentner is obviously an interesting one because during the summer it looked like he was gone. Uh, even on deadline day, he was at Crystal Palace, and then there was uh, you know the injuries that we suffered, and ultimately he's he stayed. Um, he he's been a, a contentious sort of a character. Um, it's hard to say after one game, obviously. Um, but do you think after everything that sort of happened to him in the last couple of years, you know, he went to he went to Sunderland and was in the papers more for, you know, running over Carews with Lee Catamull than, than his football. Okay. Uh, the Juventus thing, that, that really didn't work out. While he was injured, he was involved in all those incidents in Denmark, the drink driving, you know, and now perhaps he, he's looking at a, a situation where he really does have to get his career back on track. Regardless of what he's looking for in terms of wages um perhaps we're seeing something of a change maybe this change of image is is something to do with a, a change of mentality that you know he he is at a, a point where it could go either way for for him and one of those ways is very bad indeed and i, I think it's been quite interesting listening to um the denmark uh, national team manager whose name escapes me um, and he's been very, very pointed. Probably Olsen. That's it. That's it. Yeah, something Olsen. Um, but he's been very, very, um, very pointed. And, you know, even going as far as to say, you know, being on the bench at Arsenal is not good enough. He has to be playing. Um, and I know it's unlikely that Denmark are going to qualify now for the World Cup. But, 
I mean, really, if if all that's happened in the last two years isn't a wake-up call uh, for him, then it's he's just never going to wake up. Um, basically, he's you know he's not an inconsiderable talent. If he had you know if he had his head on right, I'd be I'm quite happy to have him as as a kind of as a squad member. Um, and I think he showed last night. You know, he was he wasn't brilliant against West Brom. I, I don't think he actually managed a shot but like I said I, I think that's due in part to the fact that it was a very bitty unfamiliar forward line but he got through the work he needed to do he you know he put a shift in to, to use a cliche um, and if he can keep doing that he'll win people over his you know his future at Arsenal is basically settled he's going to go in the summer mm. one way or another even if he ends up scoring 20-25 goals he's going to go <laughs> uh, there's almost no way he's going to stay um, but you know he's 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 in last chance saloon now because he's playing for his next contract wherever that may be, and you know if he is as interested in uh, money and terms and everything as he seems to be, then effectively he's he's playing to get as close to his current contract as possible because nobody's going to pay him fifty thousand pounds a week. Um, but at the moment there are people who won't even pay half of that. So for himself and for his own future. He, you know, he really, really has to show uh, the talent he has this season. And you know, last night looked like a, a decent start to me. I was, I was worried about having him in the starting lineup at the Hawthorns just because he's, he's barely played for 18 months, and no player, no matter their talent, ever really shines um, in that kind of scenario. Um, you know, his, his Arsenal career is, is definitely you know, forlorn. Um, he'll stay for this year and that'll be it. But for his own personal kind of aspirations, this is absolutely last chance saloon for him now. Mm. Um, and that, that might that might work in our favour. That might really work in our favour. Everybody knows the situation. There's no pretense here whatsoever. Um, you know, we're, we're both kind of using one another here. He doesn't love us. We don't love him. But that doesn't mean we can't have some kind of fruitful relationship mm. for the next kind of nine months or well, so. Well, yeah, he, he's putting himself in the shop window, basically, and, you know, um, he stepped up first to take the penalty, and, you know, I, I, whatever yeah. you might say, that that does take a bit of, a little bit of ball. Somebody else you mentioned, and, and somebody you referenced in your column this week, um, is Serge Nabry, uh, and you mm. rate him obviously higher than Rio Miaichi. Um, what struck me as really uh, a little bit strange, and again, this is something you mentioned in your column, is the fact that he did 120 minutes, and by the end of it, he could barely walk. You know, he was uh, walking with his hands on it or standing with his hands on his knees at one point. Uh, but he stepped up to take a penalty. Um, first, do you think one of the more senior players should have taken uh, a bit of responsibility there? Uh, and secondly, given the paucity of options we have in that position, how ready is he going to be for the trip to Swansea after playing uh, for so long on, on Wednesday night? Um to answer the first question, I definitely think that Thomas Vermaelen should have been putting himself forward for that. Um, it was interesting, about two minutes before the end of the game, Nabry went down with cramp um, and he didn't get up. And, you know, we, we could see from where we were, Arsene Wenger was livid with him, absolutely livid, because he just wouldn't get up. And, you know, cramp hurts. We all know it hurts, but... You know, um, I think the manager will have a word with him about that because we needed, you know, even if he was just limping, if you set your mind back to Seth Fabregas breaking his leg, taking a penalty and just hobbling around the pitch just to be a body, 
you know, uh, that's that's a lesson certainly for Serge to learn there that, you know, he should have really been getting to his feet and helping his team through the pain. Um, in terms of, you know, the, how ready he'll be for Saturday, I, you know, he's he's never really played at this level before, as talented as he is. And, you know, that was a very, very grueling game for him, not just physically, but like I said, the attack didn't really click and he didn't, he wasn't really able to show, um, you know, the full range of his talent, I don't think. I mean, we put him in the centre uh, towards the end of the game um, because he's got a great shot on him. And this is something that, that, you know, Arsenal fans that perhaps don't have as much access to the reserves will see. Um, he's got a cracking shot on both feet and he's not afraid to have a go. He's he's a lot like Chamberlain in that respect. And I think that's why we put him in the centre. I Personally, I wouldn't play him on Saturday. I think Swansea away is an incredibly hard fixture. Probably, the, you know, one of the hardest we've had this season. Um, and I personally, I might look at um, kind of playing Gibbs and Monreal in tandem down the left and perhaps moving Ozil out to the right. Um, and just trying to be a little bit more secure because I think, you know, I think maybe playing Serge in a home game might be a bit different. But away at Swansea, it's probably the one game of the season where we're not guaranteed to have the lion's share of possession. So there's going to be a lot of shape needed. There's probably going to be some chasing the ball required. And, uh, you know, after after Wednesday night, I'm not sure I'd pick... Nabry on Saturday myself. All right. Well, it's an interesting point you make about possession because we know that Swansea like to pass the ball. They like to uh, they like to keep it. They like to move it around. And the games between uh, us and them have been have been interesting um, since they uh, since they came up to the Premier League. Um, what was interesting in in relation to this was perhaps the way the second half went um, against Stoke at the weekend, uh, particularly when we got the um, uh, the third goal. Not that we were content to let them have the ball, but we seemed comfortable with them having the ball. You know, having the small sort of squad that we have and the small group of players, and I know it's smaller artificially at the moment because there are guys out injured. Uh, in one way, it's it's good because there's a cohesiveness and everyone gets to know each other and you, you can kind of click more easily. But on the other hand, you know, the downside is that, that the players get tired. Um, uh, and while we worry also about um, fati- uh, fatigue causing more injuries uh, with the squad we have, fatigue and tiredness is also a way that mistakes can happen. It, it certainly is. I'm, I'm not... Certainly, once we get a few players back, I wouldn't be as worried about fatigue, even though it's really evident in that second half against Stoke. And I think, again, that was... That was we were happy to let them have the ball, but I also think there was there was a real element of fatigue there because we haven't really been able to rotate the team. Um, but going forward, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be worried too much about that. In that, in most games, we still see more of the ball than most teams, and actually, our, our style isn't defensively isn't so much a harrying, pressing, energetic one. Um, probably Aaron Ramsey carries out that function, but the rest of it. It's more about shape. Uh, and, of course, that still requires some energy and some stamina to get back into position. Um, but it's more kind of setting up a barrier. Um, and if you look at kind of the stats this season, it's actually amazing. that I, I think I'm right in saying only Fulham um, have conceded more shots on goal this season than Arsenal. Mm. But if you look at where the opposition is shooting from against Arsenal, it's all 30 yards out. It's pop shots because we've 
you know, we finally cracked that we've got, you know, we're, we're putting up basically a wall in front of our 18-yard area by keeping this shape. Um, and, you know, opponents can't find a way through, so they're just cracking from range all the time. And it looks like we're happy to let them do that. Um, obviously, there's some inherent risk, but there's probably an element to which you say, well, if someone shoots from 30 yards and it goes in the top corner, more power to them, but more often than not, it won't. Mm, how so important... I'm, I'm not... Sorry, I mean, just to interrupt you, how important is Matthew Flamini to, to this, in particular this season? Because um, he, he sort of brought a, an energy to, to the midfield. Um, he's doing a different job to Arteta, who's, who's sort of calm, cool, collected. He nips in, intercepts, whereas Flamini's sort of all action. You know, he's aggressive. He's in people's faces. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that story <laughs> about what he said to the Stoke player is, is true. Um, you'd like it to be. But I'm, not, I'm not sure that it yeah. is. But, you know, that that kind of example, and, and obviously he's constantly talking to people, barking orders at them, getting them out, getting people in position. And, you know, he's playing a big role too. He is. And it's, it's really interesting because Flamini and Arteta do effectively the same job, but in completely different ways. And I, th- I think Arteta's a real leader as well. I think Fenger described him as a technical leader, and he is. And he, di- he didn't play brilliantly against West Brom, but he's always pointing. He's always, you know, he's always positioning people. And that's particularly important because Ramsey and Wilshire, you know, they're still young guys. They're still learning the game. Um, and they're both kind of all action, all over the place. But, you know, Arteta's still a great leader there. Flamini, I think, I, I still slightly prefer Arteta to Flamini. I do think Flamini's been, as you know, thus far is looking like a great option to have there um, so that we can take a bit of the load off of Arteta because I think it became too much last season. You know, we played him against Newcastle in that last game when he could barely walk. And, you know, that's not really a situation we should be in, mm-hmm. as good a player as he is. Um, but Fl- Flamini's style is perhaps a bit more reactive um, in, in that kind of, uh, in that scenario. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been just as effective. I, I do worry a little bit that sometimes he is slightly behind the play and it is a bit, oh, no, I'm not where I should be, but now I'm going to sprint 100 miles an hour to get there. And that's OK when it works, but I... I Personally, I slightly prefer Arteta's approach, um, but it's it's always good to have a kind of variety of options. And, and so far, Flamini's looked like a really quality option there. Um, and what it also does is, you know, because Wilshere's style is very much all action as well. He's very all over the place. And actually, you know, we're, we're talking about a boy who's had a lot of injuries. He takes a lot of hits in a game as well. And if Flamini can take a bit of that load off of him as well, because Jack's such a kind of such an enthusiastic guy. He wants to be everywhere at once, uh, which is great to see. But perhaps if Flamini can just lighten that load a little bit for him um, and just allow Jack to become, you know, a more kind of serene midfield player, you know, I, I think that would be fantastic as well because Arteta doesn't really do that job. You know, he needs legs around him. Um, and perhaps someone like Wilshire suffers a little bit because of that. Whereas if Wilshire's got Flamini in his midfield... He doesn't need to run everywhere. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very interesting contrast um, between the two. And it'd be interesting to see who he plays once 
you know, both Slamini and Arteta are fully fit. Mm, you, might, you might say it could well depend on who the opposition are. You know, a Stoke, for example, yeah. you know, that, that might suit uh, Flamini better, whereas Arteta, uh, when you're looking to keep possession against, against the better teams. Anyway, Tim, listen, we better leave it there. Thank you very much indeed, and we'll catch up with you again soon. My pleasure. Cheers. Thank you indeed, Tim Stillman. You can find his column every Thursday here on arsblog.com. He also writes stuff for Vital Arsenal, and you can follow him on Twitter at LittleDutchVA, at LittleDutchVA. So do give him a follow if you don't already. All right, then, uh, before we get on with the final part of the show, this guy. It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner. I'm deadly. Hello there. I'm Mick Benner. And while I'm still the greatest striker that ever lived, this is a new and improved Mick Benner. I'm now also the humblest striker that ever lived. And in an effort to display my new modesty and unobsequious nature, I'd like to make this show all about a very special guest. Welcome to the show, Mick Bentner. Uh, hello, Mick. How are you, Mick? Uh, I'm great, and also very humble. Yourself? I too am great and humble. I think it's great that you have, at this moment in your career, decided to turn over a new leaf, as it were. That's right, Mick. My career was going nowhere fast, and I clearly had to do something to make things better. It's a far cry from the lifestyle you're used to, though, Mick. Royalty and celebrity encounters. That's right, Mick, but you should know that those things are hollow and empty. You can only live for so long with people coming up to you going, Oh, Mick Benner, Mick Benner, I love you for no particular reason other than you are Mick Benner, and you are the greatest striker that ever lived. In a way, Mick, you might say it's almost like a Hollywood star would feel. The adulation and the fame, it creates a false world in which you live, and it's hard to get out of. That's right, Mick, but I'm going to do my best from here on in to be the greatest and humblest striker that ever lived. I don't think I could end this interview, Mick, without asking the question that's on everybody's lips. What's that, Mick? Ah, you know. What's going on with the hair and the beard? Well, Mick, I'm preparing for my retirement. I'm going to grow a man so I can become the king of the jungle. Ha <laughs> ha, you're all right, Mick. I know, Mick. I know. It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner. I'm deadly. No doubt we'll hear more from the greatest and most humble striker that ever lived as the season progresses. Now, looking ahead to the weekend, we have got Swansea away from home, a trip to the Liberty Stadium. Team news is that pretty much everybody who is available for Stoke should be available. You'd have a slight concern, perhaps, about Per Mertesacker, who did 120 minutes in midweek. Is he going to be okay? Um, He seems to be efficient in terms of his movement. Shall we say that? So he might well get away with it. Um, Thomas Vermala made a return, but there's still something not quite right about the vermalen Cassioni uh, partnership as far as I'm concerned. So uh, all going well, Mertesacker will be fit. Mikel Arteta came off with cramp, so he should be okay, but I think Flamini will continue in there. And Arsene Wenger says that everybody who was available for Stoke should be available. So we'll get the likes of Giroud, Ramsey, Wilshire, Mesut Ozil, of course. Uh, and then you've got Sanya Gibbs, Chesney, etc. to come back in. So I think we're going into the game in reasonable shape. Um, they play a fairly open style of football, which will suit us, I think. Uh, obviously, we fare better against teams 
that don't park the bus. We've uh, perhaps found those teams a little more difficult to break down when you play a team that's also open and attacking. It makes for a fairly uh, fairly good game. It comes down to which team makes fewer mistakes on the day, and hopefully, hopefully that will be us. It, it hasn't been an easy game in previous seasons. It's been difficult, but I think uh, with the form that we're in, with the rest that those players have got in midweek, hopefully we'll have enough to take the three points. Then, of course, there's midweek action against uh, Napoli, of course. That's uh, Gonzalo Higuain will be playing for them. Uh, he played against us in the Emirates Cup and scored. Hopefully um, that was a one-off and, uh, you know, we won't see too much from him. Um, but it would be typical, would it not, if uh, if he was a guy to cause us some problems on Tuesday night. But that's Champions League action. We'll take it one game at a time. So that's really about it from this Arscast, the only podcast that truly loves Phil Collins. Uh, so until next week's show... You take it easy. I'll talk to you then. Have yourselves a great weekend and come on the arsenal. Cheers. Bye-bye. that want to buy it, most of them are old and dignified. Social registered types, you know what I mean? They can't be trotting down at Times Square to pick out the merchandise. They gotta have some kind of uh, middleman. And that's where old Daniel comes in, you know what I mean? Hey, I'm walking here! I'm walking here! Up yours, you son of a bitch! You don't talk me that way! Get out of here!